Father in heaven, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It seems to be the word that keeps coming to us over and over each week. And so I pray now that that you would um, cause this word that we read to be a lamp and a light to us, that we could follow it, that it would direct our steps in how we're to live as people who believe in Jesus, as people you have granted your salvation. So help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to James' New Testament letter, uh, James chapter 3, please. James chapter 3, I want to read verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, If you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Uh, Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. And a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't think I need to tell you what the theme of this passage is. Um, Almost in every verse, every sentence, we read something about our tongues or really about the words that we say, the words that come from us. Um, we can see in verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. In verse five, so also the tongue is a small member in a boast of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small uh, fire and the tongue is a fire and so forth. And then in verse eight, But no human being can tame the tongue. And in verse 9, with it, that is, our tongues, when we say we bless our Lord and Father with us, we curse people. Verse 10, with the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And so so it's very clear that James is beginning to talk about um, the things that we say. No surprise. Uh, You remember in chapter 1 and verse 19, he says we're to be slow to speak. So there's something about our speaking that's important. And then verse 26, he, he clarifies it even more. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious 
and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And so you see, there's something very significant about the words that we say. So much so that he says in chapter 3 and verse 2, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to also to bridle his whole body. This sense of perfection doesn't mean sinless, but it means mature. That we become mature, that people who can control the things that they say, and implied by that, then say the right things, are people then who have matured in the faith. And we realize that's what James is after in his whole letter. You remember back in chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, listen, I know you're going through trials, and they were trials and difficulties that were particular to them. And we know that we go through trials and difficulties particular to us. Some overlap. But the point is that we go through these difficulties and God's purpose in them, as we know, his good purpose, because he's good, is that we mature, we grow up. This is his, his way of enabling us, causing us, if you will, to grow up, to mature in the faith. And so he says, even during trials, you need to watch and have control over the things that you say. Now, you know that when we go through difficulties... One of the hardest things to control, which is one of the hardest things to control anyway, according to James, impossible really for us, is our tongues. That is what we, we say. You know that when you're going through difficulties, uh, your frustrations, your anger, your, um, and so forth is often expressed by the things that we say. And he says, even then, even, in fact, most especially then, in fact, in fact, those things have arisen to help you grow up. And one of the ways that you grow up and mature and show it is how you control what you say. How many of you want me to stop now? <laughs> there you go. Thank you. One honest person in the whole congregation. R-E-N-T-J sitting right there, ready to express that which is true, that's good. But no, really, I mean, we, I, I, this wasn't thrilling for me to hit. I knew I was coming to it. I almost didn't choose James for this reason. Uh, but, but it really is what's coming. Jesus said much about what we, what we say. Um, and so James, as we found, is echoing his elder brother almost at every turn. In Matthew in chapter 12, a very similar passage that I read out of Luke chapter 6. I know it says Luke chapter 7 in the bulletins, but it's really, I read Luke chapter 6. It was my mistake. Um, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus is speaking. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by the fruit. Uh, Jesus isn't veiling very much at all his point, is he? He's talking about us. In human beings, in our own, our own hearts. It says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings good, uh, forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure 
brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. And so we see very much why James chose this aspect of our lives. We say to include where he includes it. He's just finished that, 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 that section of last Sunday in chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, where he said, Faith without works is dead. It's not real saving faith. Now we know that we're not saved by our works. We can't be. We can't obey. So we know the gospel, the good news is to sinners like you and me, is that we're justified or we're saved by grace through faith. It's God's gift to us. And we receive his gift, not by doing anything to merit it, but we receive it by believing, by turning our backs on ourselves and turning ourselves to Jesus. We're trusting then his obedience, not ours. And we're trusting that when he died on the cross, he took the penalty for each time we disobeyed for our sin upon himself and died our death so that we could live. And so, so that's this idea, the gospel, the good news that we're justified, we're saved, we're declared righteous by God, by grace through faith. We know that. But we have a relationship then, <clears throat> after all that, to obedience and to works. And what is that relationship? Well, this faith that saves us shows that God has worked in our hearts and changed them, right? And now we live, as Jeremiah said, with the law written on our hearts, we're inclined toward it. We're inclined to do that, which is good as opposed to not. That's how God has now made us. Ezekiel would say, you know this, he's taken out our heart of flesh and putting our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and given us his spirit to cause us to walk in his ways. Jesus would put it, how? We've been born again. That something has changed so much so that he can call it a new life. Paul would say that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Something has happened. We've been, in a sense, recreated. The old is gone, the new has come. What's the old that's gone? This Utter inclination and enslavement to sin. What's the new that's come? This now freedom to be inclined towards God. That's, that's who we now are. And so Jesus even says, you'll be justified by your words. Your words now should reflect what's in your heart in the same way that James said, your works should show your faith. The problem is, <laughs> they don't always. And that's his word to them and to us concerning their obedience, their works concerning their words. Does that make sense? So our words, the words that come out of us should reflect the fact that the Spirit of God lives within us. The words that come out of us should reflect that our hearts have been changed because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's out of that abundance that's in our hearts, this new heart, this grace of God that's worked in us. You see? 
that's supposed to be reflected by by what we by what we say. You remember, um, you, you should because I say this a lot. Um, you remember uh, the scene uh, in the life of the prophet Isaiah when he comes into the presence of the Lord. Isaiah chapter six. In fact, our whole worship service is is lined out on the basis of that ex- encounter between Isaiah with God. So Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. The angels are all round his throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Heaven and earth is full of your glory. The train of God's robe fills the temple. It's, a, it's this, this vision of the, of the presence of God that's huge and overwhelming. You can only imagine the train of his robe even filling this sanctuary. You'd think, wow, the guy that wears this robe is huge, Right? And so that's the sense of it. It's overwhelming. Isaiah's response is what? He hits the ground. He, he, he says, I'm, I'm falling apart here. Everything is blowing up in my life. Why? Because he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the Lord of glory. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, what comes out of my lips is a reflection of my heart. And what's come out of my lips then declares me guilty in the sight of God. So what's he need? He needs cleansing. So what happens? There's an angel that comes and takes a coal from the altar, sacrifice, and presses it to his lips. And so he's, he's cleansed, you see. That's our being justified or being saved by grace through faith. We've been cleansed. Well, now, since we've been cleansed, that new heart is to be reflected in what we do and, particularly James is emphasizing here, in what we say, the words that we use. And he he, he makes uh, no particular Qualms about that. Uh, he says, nobody can do this. And that is to say, you need the help of God. You need the help of God. You can't tame your tongue. You, you need God to be uh, involved in this with you. Because, and, and, and he says, now, here's the importance of it. Our words are really powerful. It's really his first point. Our words are really, really powerful. So much so that he begins in kind of an odd way. It's a bit of a non sequitur. It feels like anyway, at least to me. He starts talking about teachers. He said, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. If you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I think, I, I don't know exactly why James begins that way. But, but, it, but at least we realize that he recognizes as a teacher that he's about to say something to them about the power of words. And he, and he realizes the place that he has in their lives. And so just by way of humility, I think, and by way of reality, he says, I know what I'm about to say, what I'm about to say is really hard. Also know that teachers will be will be judged more strictly because I know he would say my words as a teacher have great influence over your lives and I'm aware of that um, 
Think back of the teachers that you've had. Even in school, you you know that that they've had a big influence on your life. They've they've framed the way you think often about the world. That's the great influence that teachers teachers have. Um, If I may go back to a former life, uh, an economist named uh, John Maynard Keynes. um, Some of you have heard of him from a previous generation. Put it like this, he says... The ideas of economists and political philosophers, both when they're right and when they're wrong, are more powerful than is commonly understood. So indeed, the world is ruled by little else. Practical men who believe themselves to be quite exempt from any intellectual influence are usually the slaves of some defunct economist. Madmen in authority who have voices in the air are distilling their frenzy from some academic scribbler of a few years back. And what he's saying is, teachers have a great impact. And oftentimes what happens, this generation teaches this generation, then this generation goes out and applies all of that. And what they find is that their views have been shaped by someone else. And that's true. And so James is aware of that, you see. We have... Teachers have great power. And if it's true for economists in political theory, it's certainly true for those who teach the scripture. We know that because if our faith is the very foundation of our receiving this salvation from the Lord, we recognize that truth is the foundation of our faith. That if the truth that we're taught is wrong, then there is no real faith. So the truth that is taught must be right so that there can be real faith in the real Jesus to bring real salvation. So James is aware of that. So he says, I get it. I know the influence the teachers have. But really, we all influence one another tremendously by the words uh, that, that we say. Um, uh, Proverbs. Just, I'll just do one proverb. We could, this is the proverb that I think sums up all the other proverbs about the things that we say. Everything comes from this one, I think. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wow. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, it's a proverbial expression. We get it. We understand that he's in some sense not being utterly literal. That is to say, you can't speak and life happens. Only God can do that. But you realize that the words that we say are so powerful in the lives of others. They can bless and curse. They can, they can bring real life or they can cut someone to shreds and kill their very identity. So he says, that's how powerful, you see, uh, these words are. I, I remember the power of the word hello in my own life. When I was 15, my family moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I didn't know anybody. And I literally, obviously, will never forget what I'm about to tell you because I haven't forgotten it yet. Uh, Ask me about it in 10 years. Maybe I'll forget by then, but I don't know. 
but I was 15 years old, which was 23 years ago. And, uh, and I walked into a gym class and this guy, who I, I don't even know that I ever saw after that very much, but a guy named John Adet. Do you know that name? You know that. See, I don't even rem- I don't remember him, but I remember this. He said hello to me. Changed everything about my day. Just that. And I think about this. Uh, we talk about it to our welcome folks all the time. The way that we say we welcome people by saying hello could change the whole course of where they go to church. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that simply what we say to people who come into our place to worship, what we say to them could change the whole course of their church life or affect it, influence it in some particular way. And the way that we don't can do the same. And I just think about that. How powerful just a greeting can be. Have you ever took an evaluation of your life and thought about all the things that you have done or are doing because somebody looked at you and said, you know, you're good at that. And have you ever thought about all the things that you're not doing and you've never done because someone said to you, you're not good at that. Or they teased you or embarrassed you when you did it. I mean, if you can think about just the course of our lives, how they've been influenced by what people have said about us. We know that the words that are spoken to us and about us can shape how we think of ourselves. If you call a child stupid or other such derogatory names, they may never lose that in the course of their lives. Someone said this, I can't remember who, I just wrote it down once. He said, your self-image is the sum of all the verdicts spoken over you during the course of your life. But your self-image is the sum of all the verdicts spoken over you to the course of your life. Now, I suppose that's a bit of an exaggeration in some sense. But, but when we think about it, we get it. And that's why we stress so much in the context of church life that we need to think of ourselves as God does. How does he think of us? And that our identity would be shaped by how he thinks of us as sinners who he loves to whom he's, for whom he's given his son, that we might be in relationship with him. And he can look at us then through the lens of Jesus and say, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. To understand ourselves in that light as God thinks of us, not as others. Because very often, what we remember of what others think of us is negative. I remember when I was a young pastor, an older pastor, who was in his 40s, uh, said to me, he said something to the effect of, it takes 10 nice things for people to say to you and about you to destroy and and overcome one negative thing they say. And I don't know what the exact proportions are. Some parts of my life it's been 100 to 1 as opposed to just 10 to 1. But that's just true, you see. I'm not saying that to manipulate you, so you just say nice things to me. Eh, maybe I am. But uh, I thought about that. But, the, uh, but, but, but think about it. You, you know that. 
in the course of, of our lives. We, we know that. No matter how thick-skinned we might be and all of that and come to be, we just get that. We know that. We know that people, the things that they say, can change the course of our lives. The things people say can change the course of whole nations. Right? We know that those who are in authority over us and those who have position politically and so forth, that the, the words that they, can, they say can direct the latitude, the whole course of a nation. Uh, we can see that the words of a Hitler can incite a whole nation to brutal inhumanity. We know that the words of a Churchill can inspire a nation to sacrifice and valor. We get that. We know that can really happen and does. We've seen it. We've experienced it in the context of our whole lives. We know that words can strengthen or destroy a friendship. We know that words can strengthen or destroy a marriage. We know that once the word divorce is out there, then it becomes reinforced within and it becomes the potential reality that it wasn't beforehand. Just the word. I've seen it in the lives of people. Just when the word is expressed, it's out there, you see. So these words are very, very powerful. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that words are powerful. We weren't the first ones to speak words. God was the first one who spoke, you see. And when he spoke, everything happened. He brought uh, this great creation from his own speaking, his own word, if you will. And we're made in his image. We speak, we communicate. And so, so those words have great power. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's a whole movement over the last, I don't know, generation or so called the Word of Faith movement. That is, if you speak it, then it's reality. And we can speak health and we can speak wealth. Those are usually the two big things we want to speak about as opposed to holiness and godliness. Uh, that doesn't seem to work as well. I don't know in America. But uh, you can speak wealth and health and pretty much get it here. But godliness, uh, not so much. But, 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 but I'm not saying that at all. James is just saying as those created in the image of God, uh, our words are powerful. And we get that. Even the proverb that says, your words bring life and death. We, we get that. We understand the, the boundaries there, what that, what that really means. And that's the, the essence of it. But notice something. It isn't just simply that our words are powerful to direct the lives of others, but our words are powerful to direct our own lives. Notice what he puts it in verse 2. For we all stumble... In many ways, and if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. In other words, if we can control our, our tongues, if we control the things that we say, then it means we can have control over everything in our lives. Now, that could mean one of two things, and, uh, and I think it could actually mean both. So these, this isn't, isn't an either or, it's a both and. The first one that we think about is, we realize, as James will go on to say, that the tongue is impossible to control, if you will. It's difficult to control. So his point could well be, and I no doubt is, 
that if we can control our tongues, if we can control the things that we say, then everything else would be a piece of cake. Because it's so hard to control our tongues. If, we, if you can do that, you know, then you can control everything else. Because that, what we say, is the most difficult thing of all to control. It's sort of like, if you can, if you can lift 500 pounds, then you could lift 100 pounds, right? If you can do that, the big one, you can do the little one. So if you can control the things that you say, then you can control everything. But not only that. We realize that the things that we say control us. The things that we say control us. When you say yes to something, it controls what you do. When you say no to something, we realize that that directs the course of our lives. When we say I love you, That directs the course of our lives. We say, I hate you. That directs the course of our lives. What we say, it gives voice, animation to what's inside. And so if we say yes to that which is godly and good, it purifies. If we say no to that which is godly, yes to that which is ungodly, it destroys, you say. And so by what we affirm, what we say, uh, directs the very course of our lives. If our words are angry words, it reinforces and fuels the anger which is in us. And that anger then takes takes more of a grip on our lives. If we complain and give voice to our discontent then that discontent becomes stronger in the context of our own lives it simply simply does this controls it it governs if you will our lives if we give a voice to pride and self-centeredness then that pride and self-centeredness you see strengthens uh, within us, if we give voice to self-pity, then then this sense of being a victim just simply grows in our lives. And James is saying, kind of watch what you give voice to, because that only strengthens that which is within. The good news is that if we learn to give voice to mercy and compassion and and kindness and forgiveness, give voice to that, that strengthens what's within. Why? Because we're integrated people. We're to be integrated people. What comes out should reflect what's in. And what's in should be reflected by what comes out. And so it all works together. And so control this and it affects even within. And, and, and guard the heart and it affects what comes out. There's a congruence here. And so we should know that. In our family growing up, uh, when our kids were growing up, uh, we used to have this little expression... And we said, we never tease about loving. Ever. If you said, I love you, that's what it meant. And if you never said, I hate you, you never said those. We never wanted to give (laughs) credence to what we knew was really going on in their hearts half the time or more. Uh, And so we said, no, no, that that, you're never going to tease about loving. We're always going to be right on uh, with that. 
Now, so James says our, our, our tongues are powerful. What we say is powerful. And, and then he goes on to, to speak rather negatively. You can see uh, from the middle of verse 5 on, the first part of verse 5 says the tongue can boast of great things. Look what I can do. It says that, the, you know, it's, it's the tongue in our lives, our, we say in our lives is like a bit in a horse. If you control, if you want to control the horse, you can do it by this bit. If you want to control your life, then you do it by controlling your tongue, by controlling the things that you say. It's like a rudder on a ship. It's small. ship is big. Powerful forces trying to move that ship around. And all you need is this little rudder. And the pilot can control the whole ship. Just with that little thing. Against the winds and the waves. <laughs> this big ship can direct it. Guide it. Control your tongue. It can control your life. So he says, I can boast of great things. But then he goes on to speak rather negatively. He says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. And then he goes on to say negative things about uh, what we say. He says it's a world of unrighteousness. What comes out is a world of unrighteousness. It's set among our members, staining the whole body. In other words, what you say can produce a stain on you. That's a negative thing. Um, if you're a complainer, you'll be stained. If you're a person who, 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 who speaks in such a way that is arrogant, you'll be stained by your own arrogance. Or a person who um, is self-centered, you'll be stained. If, if what comes out of you expresses this self-centeredness, you'll be stained by your own selfish. Disposition. If you're a liar, you'll be stained by the lies that you speak. If you're a gossip, you'll be stained by the gossip that you speak. If you're a slanderer, you'll be stained by the slander that you speak. You understand that? It stains our lives. It reveals us in such a way that this becomes who we are in the eyes of others. They see this stain on our life. It sets, can set fire on the whole course of life. And the fuel of it is the fire by, of, of hell. It's a restless evil, verse 8. It's full of deadly poison. Right? Uh, it's inconsistent with, we, with it. We bless God, which was what we've just done. And then James, being a real guy, probably knew that on the way out of church, he'd yell at one of his kids in a derogatory kind of fashion. And he go, well, we thought we bless God, but then we curse those who are made in the image of God. How can that be? It's, it's, it's restless, this tongue. Now, now, why is James so negative here? I mean, he could have said it's more positively. I mean, most of us grew up, if we had an image of a spark, it, was, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. That's how it is with God's love, right? I mean, oh, that's such a nice, corny, wonderful campfire song. But, but, but we, but you know, that's how we, you could, you could have spun this a whole different way. You could have said, hey, kindness, you see, speak kindness and it's, it's a little spark. Boom. It just, kindness goes through your whole family and church and life. It's reinforced in your life for you. You can speak grace or speak mercy or speak words of encouragement. He didn't do that. Why? Well, Probably it was because this was happening in the lives of the people 
in the churches to whom James wrote. If they were speaking kindly, then he wouldn't have had to write this, right? In the same way, in the beginning of chapter 2, he was he wrote about discrimination or about showing partiality, about favoring the rich over the poor. Well, why, why was he so negative about that? Well, because that's, what's ha- that's what was happening. And remember, when we got there and we talked about this favoring the rich over the poor and, and valuing one another on the basis of externals or surface matters that don't matter, but for us seem to matter. Yeah, that was real in their life, and it's real in ours. But the problem is we get so accustomed to it that we don't notice it. I mentioned a few weeks ago uh, the book by Jerry Bridges, dear friend of ours, some of you known him and read him over the years, a book that if he hadn't written the book, the title would have sufficed to help us. And it's simply a title, Respectable Sins. What he writes about in that book very painfully, I don't know if it was painful to write, it was painful to read, but he writes about those sins in our lives that we don't seem to notice anymore because they've sort of have general approval among us. As long as you don't do these things, you're fine. If you do these things, well, you know, everybody knows those things. And uh, part of that is the partiality that we so naturally show to those whose externals and surface things seem to meet with our approval. The way that we like it and the way that we like them. And then secondly, how negative and destructive we can be with the things that we say. We get accustomed to those kinds of things, whether it is, as we mentioned a moment ago, gossip, whether we're simply saying misleading things about other people or spinning the things that we say in such a way that puts them in a bad light. It could destroy perhaps even their reputations or how others think of them. And we do that so naturally at times. Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. Sometimes we do it as a prayer request, right? then there's that insincere flattery that we give to people so we can manipulate them. Whether they say gossip is what you say behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. Flattery, the things you say to their face that you'd never say behind their back, right? And so there we are. And we see that in the course of our own lives. The lies that we tell, some are quite direct, some are quite indirect, just sort of fabrications or exaggerations or um, we see that and we sort of create this alternative reality with the words that we say, at least we try to. These lies, we try to spin a narrative that isn't really true uh, to, 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 to cause people to think either better of us or perhaps worse of someone else so we can have a sense of self-righteousness to, to get us out of trouble. The lie seems so good at the time because if they knew the truth and these would be the consequences, I don't want to face those consequences, so I'm going to spin it this way. I'm going to, I'm going to create a narrative that looks like this so that so the, the negative consequences Consequences won't happen in my life rather than owning up to them. And so we know that these, these lies, that we, the harsh words that we say. I said this before, but we used to say around our, 
our uh, kitchen table during meal times with the children, I would just simply ask the children to speak to one another as if they were total strangers. Because they speak really nicely to total strangers. They say please, they say excuse me, they say thank you. <laughs> they say all kinds of nice things to total strangers. And yet sitting around the table with the people we love, we can say such harsh things in harsh ways. And they, they cut so often. And James says, if you really, really want to control your life, control the things that you Say, you know, the Bible would never have written this expression. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. The Bible would never say that. Say, listen, you can recover from sticks and stones. You can get the bones set, whatever. But the things that people say, the things that we say about and to one another can stay forever and destroy the soul. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think James says first this, listen to yourself. Uh, he says, he says, verse nine, with it, with our tongues, with the things that we say, we bless the Lord and father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things uh, uh, not be so. Uh, does the spring f- uh, pour forth from the same opening and fresh and uh, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, a grape produce, a uh, grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt pond Yield fresh water. His, his point is obvious, isn't it? That we have a new heart. So what comes out of our mouth should be uh, tested by the new heart. Is, is this consistent with what Christ has done? That's why I think, although it's a little different context than 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, when Paul's talking about philosophies and false philosophies and so forth and how we're to deal with them. Uh, this is true in every uh, area of our lives. Verse 5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That expression, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what's really in our minds and hearts? What are those th- thoughts that are there? Thoughts about God, thoughts about others, thoughts about ourselves. Take those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. What does Jesus think of his father? How should we think of him? He thinks of him as good, as gracious, as powerful. Is wise, And so we need to take all the thoughts about God and make them captive to Christ. And then what we say about God should reflect those thoughts that are now captive to Christ. What do we think about each other? Well, what does Christ think about us? He knows we're sinners. But he knows that person is a sinner that I'm thinking about. And he knows that I'm a sinner too. And so that thought about their sin should be taken captive to a recognition of my own. And and if they're a believer, to know that Christ died for them. Has forgiven them and cares for them. and Wants best for them and good for them. How should I then think of them? My thoughts of them should be taken captive 
Christ would want to be gracious to them, to be merciful to them, to be kind to them, to be truthful to them, to bless them. So, how should I then reflect what Christ thinks of them? Take every thought about every person captive to the obedience of Christ. That way, I think, we fulfill, at least in part, what we read in Proverbs in chapter 4. Because this is really the guts of it. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's it. See, see out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's really the heart. And, and it's been made new by the Spirit of God. And so now you see we need to keep it. And how do we keep it? Well, we keep it by filling it with God's thoughts, with the Word of God. We fill it like that. That's why we read this morning from Psalm 19. It's a psalm about God speaking in creation and God speaking by his word. God speaking in creation and God speaking by his word. And and you remember how it ends up and this is how I'll end up because this should be the very prayer on our lips. Verse 14, the end of this psalm. Psalmist really prays that the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That should be our prayer, you see. Poetically, I think it's a little backwards. I think it should say that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth. I'm not here to correct scripture. That's not what I'm doing. But but I'm just saying that that when we this is poetic. If we want to take it logically, we would pray first, God, may Take the meditations of my heart. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Fill my heart with your word. May I think about everything the way you think about everything. May I understand everything the way you understand everything. Fill my heart with that. And then... Let the words of my mouth that reflect my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, um, I feel as if I've spoken too many words today after what I've just said and read. But I pray for us that as a people we would uh, guard our hearts, fill our hearts with your word in such a way that the words that we then speak are words of grace, words of love, words of mercy and words of compassion. They reflect the joy that we have in you, that are words that are true about you and our lives. Words that bless you and bless others. Give us 
that self-control, Holy Spirit, that enables us to speak in such a way that reinforces everything in the heart that is good and enable us to keep from saying that which Christ would not approve of. Help us to be that people. May we see the fruits then of words that are spoken, which are not corrupt, but which in fact build up most especially for the need that anyone has at the moment, as the Apostle writes to us. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight then, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen.